0: Coaches, Cognition, Coaching with Courtney and Christensen. As a busy coach, you spend all day refueling, revamping, and reflecting with educators. Now is the time to stop and recharge your batteries with some much-needed Coaching for the Coach.
1: Welcome back to another episode of C3. I'm Courtney Groskin, and I'm kind of here with Violet Christensen. Again, we're together at a distance.
0: Violet, what's new in your world? Um, in my world, you know, things are good. I am really trying to focus on the positive things, on the things in which I can control right now um, in these times. And for the last few weeks, I have been able to be recruiting and really working on and developing in, um, a professional development opportunity that's very close to my heart um, it's the Interdistrict Coaching Collaborative and uh, IDCC for short. Um, and it is a this year fully virtual connection point for coaches to come together and practice their craft and be able to refine their skill set. Um, so we have coaches, administrators, and educators from across the nation, and many here in our neck of the woods in Colorado throughout various districts joining us to come together and practice coaching and be able to. Um, find ways to be more intentional in that practice and reflection on our craft and be able to support teachers and educators better. So um, the addition this year, this is the third year um, we are expanding and you can actually now get graduate level credit through Adams State University if you join the collaborative. And um, now that it's virtual, if there are any coaches out there in our listenership who want to join in, uh, check out Twitter and we will put the information there that you could join this um, network of coaches to get some credit and get some practice and some connection point as a coach in this time. So for me, that has been really energizing and something that I can focus on helping people have more connections at this time when it's more vital than
1: ever. So uh, that's, that's been a fun thing going on in my world lately. Yeah, every coach needs a coach. That's a great opportunity. I'm so fortunate to be a part of as well.
0: We're super excited to have you as part of it and help develop this PD. And um, we would love to have you guys join us. So check it out on Twitter. And Courtney, tell me what's going on in your world.
1: Running on a little less sleep, still waiting for election results, hopefully to our listeners that they have heard the decision by now, um, by the time they're listening to this episode. If not, we've got a really great episode to take your mind off of things today. Today, we are pleased to have Christian Van Neuerberg, an experienced executive coach and educational consultant. He is the executive director of Growth Coaching International. He is seen as a leading authority in the field of coaching and has written numerous books on the topic, including his recent advanced coaching practice, Inspiring Change in Others. He is a professor of coaching and positive psychology at the University of East London and is a visiting professor at the University of Bergamot, an honorary fellow of the Center of Positive Psychology at the University of Melbourne. He is passionate about the use of coaching and positive psychology in education, and we are beyond honored to have him with us today. Christian, welcome to C3. We are beyond thrilled to have your brilliance
0: here with us today. Thank you for joining us.
2: Well, it's such a pleasure, and uh, just before we start, I want to say how grateful I am to to C3 for this amazing resource and to all of the coaches out there who do amazing work on a daily basis. And uh, just wanted to say thank you to everyone for that.
0: Thank you so much. Your sentiment is very much appreciated. And we, we want to dive in and learn more about you and learn about your background. Can you start by just giving us um, a refresher on how you got into coaching and your road in education?
2: Yeah, what a a great question. So um uh I've always been passionate about the power of education and um I grew up in uh Beirut, Lebanon uh, during the civil war there. I'm actually in Beirut now visiting family. And um uh because it was, uh, you know, a difficult time for for many reasons, um I really appreciated the um the safety and the the uh kind of the order and calm that uh schools could provide. I went to an American school here, it's called the American Community School. And um uh at the school I was um so lucky to have some amazing teachers. So uh particularly I can remember my first grade teacher, my 6th grade teacher, my principal and those people had such a huge positive impact on on my life that uh, and by the time I finished school, I was able to go to university, and that gave me so many life chances um, and so I literally wouldn't be doing what i 'm doing now if it weren't for that excellent um, kind of basis or found foundation so um after i um I studied at that school. That I, I taught at that school for a little while, which was wonderful. Um, and then I uh, went to university here, here in Beirut, and went on to the United Kingdom to to do a PhD, which I I completed. And then I thought, you know, I want to go back to education. I want to work in education. And so I got involved in um, in an education department in in England which was uh, dedicated to supporting teachers through professional development, mostly. And, uh, you know, we had a really passionate team. I was, again, incredibly fortunate. Uh, And these were teachers who had um, uh, decided that they would love to support other teachers. So we had a team of really expert teachers with all sorts of different specialisms and we were providing professional development for um, for schools all across the region. And um, one day, I just kind of got curious about the impact we were having. You know, everybody was filling in the evaluation forms really positively because our facilitators were excellent. Um, the teachers loved the training. But what I did was I contacted all of these, not all of them, a selection of these teachers about a year after they'd been on one of our courses. And I picked those that had said, loved the course, it was excellent, you know, this is amazing. And um, uh, after picking those, I got in touch with them and I said, a year later, and I said, so did you implement those things? Tell me about how, how you got on after the course. And unfortunately, most of them said, you know what, we haven't actually implemented those things. It was busy when we got back to school or couldn't get other people on board with it or whatever. And and that was when I thought, you know, what, what, what else can we do that will ensure... I was interested at that point in implementation of, you know, proven practices in schools. And that's where um, I trained to become a coach myself. I thought that might be something... And um, I, uh, after training to be an executive coach, I started running courses for teachers about, you know, coaching. I started coaching school leaders and uh, we started experimenting with providing coaching for teachers who had been on PD, on professional development courses. And we did find that that was a great way of actually implementing new practices or new ideas. So, um, sorry, that's a bit of a long answer, but that's, that's kind of how I got into it. And all the way through, I've been, uh, my, my dream is that every, every student can have the kind of the, those kind of teachers I mentioned to you, you know, those really inspiring teachers. And I think that for those teachers to be inspiring, they need outstanding coaches who can support them because, you know, the, the teachers give so much, right? And um, I think they've got it. It's a very challenging job. You're kind of on your toes all day long. It it requires a lot of energy. So we do need to ask, where do our teachers get the support they need? Not You know, some of it professional development, but some of it is just somebody to talk to, somebody to bounce ideas off, somebody to listen to their ideas, somebody to value them and i think coaches uh, play that role
1: i love that you know your path to coaching was grown out of researching and digging a little deeper into that sustainable professional development piece because i think that's something our professional development department comes back to all the time of how is this being uh, applied how is it sustainable and how can we best support our educators from reading many of your books i know you understand there's a wide range of definitions of what coaching is What's your personal definition
2: of coaching? Yeah, thank you. That's a great question, and you know, um, it keeps changing, so I have to be a bit uh, cautious. So I, I haven't got it in in a in a neat sentence, but I, I'll say what I think the components of coaching might be. So for me, there is something important about um, there being two people. I think um the idea that it's a one to one relationship is really at the heart of why it's so powerful so one aspect of it is there's two people the other aspect of coaching is that um one of them uh, manages the conversation i think the coach's role is to manage uh the conversation and i think it's the coachee's role to um think um and come up with their own ideas so If I were to come up with a definition, I think coaching is about creating the ideal environment for learning to take place. And when I use that definition, you know, that's what education is. And and I, I love the parallel there that I think the best teachers do that, right? So the best teachers are always thinking about how do I create the right environment in which the best learning can take place? And that can be what's up on the walls, uh, you know, that can be how do I, um, you know, greet each student, that can be um, what's kind of a level of ex- uh, expectation do I have for each student, it can be how much of the time is spent teaching, how much of the time is spent exploring. So I, I really like that parallel, and, and I think teachers deserve that space as well. And and you know i i also believe that teachers are whether they're they want this or not uh they're always role models they're always role models so um anything that the teacher says or does or th- th- that behavior the the students are are seeing that all the time and so i think role modeling being a learner yourself is so important for the students and so I get really excited when uh, teachers say to their students, you know, I'm working with a coach right now because it just shows that uh, uh, hunger for learning that we're always developing. So yeah, again, sorry, a long answer to to a relatively straightforward question. No, I think that's
0: beautifully stated in the way in which teachers are trying to create that ideal environment and coaches are trying to do that as well for our educators. It's, it's beautiful. I was actually observing in a classroom the other day and they were like, this is my coach introduced it on WebEx. Here's my coach. She's, she's just here to help us make teaching and learning better here, guys. Like everybody who wants to get better gets a coach. And when the kids are hearing that from their teacher, their, that growth mindset sets in It's so powerful
2: thank you for sharing that violet um that's that's the kind of thing that gets me feeling really positive and encouraged um that that that's exactly it um that openness to say i'm always learning all the time i'm developing all the time um i think it, that that's being such a good role model to the to the students in the classroom so it, uh, i'm really delighted to hear about that
0: well, it's just so fun to be part of it and I I really have been fascinated with your work and fascinated with um just the two components of your work with the positive psychology side mixed with coaching and I would like to hear a little bit more if you could shed some light on how you married positive psychology and coaching together and also a little bit more for our listeners about um your view on positive psychology.
2: Yeah, thank you for that. So, um um Positive psychology. Let me start with that, and then I'll talk about how uh, I see the intersection between those two things. Um, so, positive psychology actually was launched in in the U.S. in 1999 by Professor Martin Seligman, uh, who at a um, um, a conference of the American Psychological Association uh, declared, "You know, we need to focus more." On what's positive about human beings, and we have to be careful. Uh, it's not about criticizing psychology as usual, because psychology, as usual, has had has made huge progress. And the only thing that uh, Professor Martin Seligman was saying is, it seems that we've spent a lot of time on human weakness and uh, illness, and how to resolve. Problems or how to overcome illness, but not enough time has been spent on, uh, you know, human beings at their best, as it were. So, a positive psychology is the scientific study of optimal human functioning, or you could say it's really the science of well being. And a really important point that kind of was a turning point for me is you know the absence of ill health does not mean that you're flourishing you know so if you're not ill it doesn't mean you're incredibly healthy it just means you're not ill and that actually is the world health organization uh, who definition they actually say the absence of ill health does not mean you're healthy um and so positive psychology resides in that space between you're not ill uh, right through to your flourishing as a human being, you know, you're thriving, you're you're really at your best. And so, um, and there has been a lot of research into it. So that's the strength of positive psychology is it's attracted a lot of research. And in the last two decades, an enormous amount of research has been done. And the research has been done in areas where I think we as educators are interested. So, the research is happening around optimism, around hope, around uh, um, uh, well-being, around uh, altruism. <laughs> A lot of the things that I think we, we should be uh, or we are already interested in. So when I give you the example of my own education... Um, you know the things i learned weren't only curriculum areas uh, to be honest i've probably forgotten 90% of that the things i learned were about human kindness about unlocking people's potential it was about how to interact with others it was uh, you know uh how to just be with others as well so i do think those things i think are valuable for us so why, why the integration? Well, it's because I, I am critical of coaching, and I hope it's okay to share some of my critiques of coaching as well. So I think coaching has been largely uh, very helpful and very supportive. The one thing that I, I critique it for is sometimes we become, I'm talking about both coaches and the people we're coaching, Sometimes we might become too obsessed on hitting goals. And, uh, you know, because the process has been presented as coaching is about setting and achieving goals, we can sometimes get trapped into the sense that that's the only thing that matters. You know, we have to hit these goals. And sometimes I think we can add to the pressure that we're putting on on, or, or that a teacher might be experiencing by coming in and saying, how are you doing with that goal? How are you getting on with the goal? So I guess my critique was sometimes, and not just in the education sector, sometimes um, we were putting too much emphasis on goal attainment. And as I said in my definition of coaching, for me, I prefer the focus of coaching to be on learning, growth, and development. It's about learning. It's not only about achieving goals. So that's when I thought, well, here's a whole field of study, which is about well-being. And, you know, like both of you, uh, Courtney and Violet, I've uh, I've worked in schools, I love working with teachers, and I do know how important well-being is, you know, if, if teachers are going to kind of be the kind of teacher that we talked about, the one that's inspiring students, that's that's there for them, that notices their strengths, that encourages them, they need to be well. It's not that they they just are should not be stressed. It's more than that. It's not that the teacher is not stressed. The teacher actually has to be performing really well, and they need to be at their best. And I thought if we bring positive psychology in with coaching, it's almost like we're saying, and you know there is a term now called positive psychology coaching and it's almost like we're saying look in positive psychology coaching there's two outputs that we want one is definitely goal attainment we we do want to make things better in the classroom we do want ultimately our students to get better learning outcomes and all sorts of other outcomes but at the same time those conversations should be at least making sure that the working towards the goal isn't at the cost of the well-being of the teacher. And and I say at the very least, because the ideal is, are there ways that we can support people to achieve meaningful objectives and goals that actually enhances their well-being? And I think coaching is one of those scenarios. I think coaching can be a way of helping people to be even better at what they do professionally while giving them a boost to their well-being so so that's why and um one of the uh i have a couple of roles i work for growth coaching international which is a a, an australian-based global organization working in this space but i also work for university of east london which is uh i would say of course a leading university in this space where we uh positive psychology and coaching and about four or five years ago, um, we integrated our coaching psychology program with our positive psychology program. And that's the rationale for it, is that how, val- how important it is to integrate these two things so that every, every conversation is about uh, learning, growth, but also about well-being.
1: And this, I think, especially resonates now more than ever during this time of our pandemic. Um, I'm finding, you know, my coaching has shifted greatly in first, how are you doing socially and emotionally? Where are you? Um, How can I best support you? And sometimes it's just a conversation that teachers need and not so much that going in and hitting those goals and targets that will come. But I feel like right now we really need to make sure that our educators have what they need. and are okay because we can't move forward until they're okay.
0: That emotional being is so powerful and so important in this moment for them to be able to have good cognition in the things they are trying to work on, like that attuning to their uniqueness in this moment and where they are feeling is so powerful.
2: Yeah, uh, thank you both for that. I, I do think, uh, particularly now during this pandemic, uh, this does become, and that's a perfect example. Courtney. Um, so positive psychology coaching would say <laughs> uh, it's okay if we just need to have a conversation about how you are at the moment. Don't worry, let's put the goal to one side. We can come back to that later. It's, it's critical now. This is what the client or the coachee or the teacher needs right now. We need to talk about this. And, and my hope uh, as a result of this pandemic is that we carry this forward because i think this applies all the time it's just that this has really brought it to top of mind right now and brought it right to our attention so we definitely need to be doing that now but, but and and we need to carry that forward i think that stance of the coach which is look unless we address these things that may be of concern we're not going to get full kind of presence or attention. And that does bring me to another thing that I think is highly relevant is uh, the well-being of coaches, right? which is why right at the beginning, I, I wanted to kind of share my appreciation for what it is you're doing at C3, because... Um, The same thing applies, you know, if we want teachers to be able to inspire learners and students, we also want our, you know, to think about the well-being of our coaches. And again, uh, just like the teacher is a role model to learners, I see the coach as a role model. And I don't see the coach as a role model of, you know, an excellent uh literacy person or i i don't see them as a role model in terms of their um uh kind of curriculum expertise I see them as a role model of um uh you know looking after their own well being of being fully motivated being fully engaged being so uh, the the kind of and and you know my hope is let's say a coach works with a teacher. And the teacher experiences somebody who listens to them respectfully, who believes that they're going to come up with their own solution, who um, uh, uh, asks thoughtful questions. I'd love it if teachers go away from that session, not only having learned something about their professional practice, but thinking, how can I use some of what I experienced in terms of that ideal learning environment? How can I use that in the classroom? Or how can I use that with my colleagues when I'm talking to others? So, you know, I, 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 you know, as I'm talking, I'm really liking the kind of putting two things together, which is well-being and learning and growth, on the other hand. These things are what um, happen in coaching conversations but then also in classrooms in corridors so yeah that's what I mean by role models uh, and the importance of of role models so thank you very much for those questions it's helped me to just think a little bit further about some of those things
1: that's our job as a coach right to ask those deep questions and get you thinking (laughs) yes so I really enjoyed reading your article on hope it isn't a mere wishful thinking. It's a valuable tool we can put into work in a crisis. How might teachers and coaches begin to use the idea of hope with their students?
2: Thank you, Courtney. Um, you know that article. I don't. I don't really. Um, I haven't put a lot of stuff out there, and that 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 was uh, in a in a publication called The Conversation, and uh, what happens is some newspapers actually pick it up, and I was really happy when uh, a big newspaper in England ran with it, and uh, another one out in Australia uh, published it. Um, That article came from thinking, what can I say or do now that's actually helpful because I think we're probably all experiencing this at the moment. Um, you know, sometimes thinking, Oh, I I don't know when this pandemic's ever going to go away. And, and, um, I, so the ironic thing with that Courtney is, um, uh, it gave me hope to say, well, can I, is there something I know about positive psychology that might be helpful now that might be something that, and it's only a short article. I, but but my hope is the reason i shared that is the idea that you know this is something that every human being has the uh, has within them the ability to hope right so that's incredibly an incredibly powerful thing that's um that we all have and i was thinking how do we leverage that how do we access it at the moment and and what I wanted to highlight was, and this is what might be helpful for um, coaches or educators listening to this, is distinguishing between two different ways that we understand hope. So one is this idea of wishful thinking, of saying, oh, you know what, I hope that we're going to have a, you know, a, a nice summer, or uh, I hope things get better which is just a kind of a wishful thinking. You know, it, it doesn't actually harness anything in us. It's just wishful thinking. But Charles Schneider, uh, who was a, one of the leading researchers in this, based at the University of Kansas, um, he came up with hope theory, which actually broke it down into the components that can uh, explain to us how, how it works, how we can actually leverage it. So according to Charles Snyder, one thing we need in order to activate hope is a desired future state. So that we actually believe is possible. So we need to start to imagine a future state, not a wishful state of, uh, for example, in this pandemic, and I don't know much about it, but for example, wishing, I hope it'll go away, you know, by the end of the week. That doesn't motivate or engage us, um, but but if we can come up with something to say, well, let's have a clear desired future state for our district or our building or our family to say, you know, uh, the desired future state is we find a way that we can still do some of the things we like, um, whilst also continuing to teach or whatever. So coming up with something like that, that's the first part of it. And in organizational context, it's important that that's a shared thing. So we need to find ways that we can talk amongst ourselves. If it's a family, again, it's in your family, you'd say, look, what's something that we want that would be nice for us to work towards? So we come up with that. The shared component is important. And then according to Schneider, there's two parts to this. There's pathways thinking, and then there's agency thinking. And pathways thinking, so once we have a desired future goal that we believe may be possible, then it's thinking, well, what are the various pathways towards that? What are the routes that would get me closer to that desired future state? And if the more of those pathways we think about the more we uh, our uh, well-being increases, because we start to think, oh, actually, it is possible. There are a number of different routes that would get me towards that. So believing we have ways of moving towards it uh, will inc- uh, enhance our well-being and our motivation. But pathways, according to this theory, aren't enough. So you do need pathways. And I think coaching provides that, by the way, and that wasn't in the article, but uh, the reason I support coaching is because it can help people think about what are the different ways that you could move toward that. The other thing that's needed, and coaching also provides this, is a sense of agency. Um, uh, so remember, it was pathways thinking and agency, agency thinking that we need. And agency thinking is... A little bit like taking some personal responsibility and thinking, I actually can play a part in this. There is something that I can do that can move us closer to that desired future state. And that's important for hope as well. You don't want to be sitting waiting for somebody else to do something or saying, I don't know what to do. I've kind of given up on this. That doesn't increase hopefulness. And there is research to show that if you're hopeful, It has uh, benefits to your physical and mental or psychological well-being as well. So there's some benefits to being hopeful, but the other thing is that it increases our motivation and we're more likely to do something about it. So thinking back to my example, and this is maybe a little, I'm overcomplicating it a little bit, but I needed to feel some agency. I needed to feel, is there something that I can do or say now that's kind of gonna help in some way. So actually writing the article was made me feel better because I was thinking, you know what, I've said something and you know, if a few hundred people look at it and think, Oh, that's been helpful. It's it's given me a sense of I can actually do something. And and of course the enemy of, of all of what we're talking about is hopelessness um uh, or and again it's martin seligman who did the research on learned helplessness and and that's that is a concerning thing is sometimes we can get ourselves into a mindset of actually there is nothing i can do about this and this is the opposite this is the opposite side of things if we lose hope then we don't invest any effort we don't you know we're not motivated so that's why I was thinking during these times especially. But, again, let's be a little bit positive about this. Human beings have been through incredibly difficult things before, and, and uh, people have been able to hope through that. And um, then there's, of course, the third, a third uh, uh, way that the word hope is used, and that's to do with faith as well. So people of faith have uh are able to access hope as well and so uh, i think um like you were both suggesting that idea of hopefulness is incredibly important now and my message to everyone on this c3 uh, uh community is um that that's what coaching can do coaching is a way of instilling hope in people because it brings those two components. It, it actually brings all three components. With coaching, we can say, what is your desired future? With coaching, we can say, what are the pathways you've got towards that? And in coaching, we're kind of saying, so what is it you can do? What is it you're going to be able to do? So that's why I think hope is critical and, and coaching is critical
0: how ironically beautiful it is that your writing about hope brought you more hope and is also spreading that to everyone who is able to interact with your work. It's just, I just love that beautiful cylindrical portion of that, how it's giving everyone who's interacting with it, hope as well as filling your own cup in order to be able to give to others.
2: Yeah. uh, Thank you for noticing that. Uh, And I did really struggle because uh, like everyone else, uh, I'm under certain restrictions, things that give me most energy and uh, um, uh, uh, affirmation, I guess, has been uh, going out to meet people. Uh, I love teaching at university. And the th- the bit that I love most about my university role is actually being in a classroom with our students. And those things aren't happening, you know. So it was a, I was thinking and And I felt I'm not adding as much value now because and and i I believe that teachers may be experiencing this as well, and maybe coaches as well, because you do get that immediate response in person, and we all know this as coaches, you can tell the person really appreciated it or they've got something out of it, and it's much more immediate and real and and you're right that I was kind of thinking, what is it that I can do and actually. <laughs> I'm actually working on another similar article now about optimism, um, based on the same idea of what is it that we know in positive psychology that can be helpful now. Um, And uh, it's about being careful with optimism, this article, because um, uh, being over optimistic in times like this actually is dangerous. um, And there's some dangers to over optimism. So again, it was saying, well, what is there something we can say? And it's simply about moderating our optimism, and if and checking in. So when we're very optimistic, and let's say I, I would say to you, I'm sure by, you know, by by December, uh, we'll all be back in class, right? So and I am an optimist. So I'm writing from a position of, of of personal experience here. If I tend to be very optimistic, what I need to be doing now is just checking in and saying to myself, okay, I, I'm hoping that, and I'm really optimistic, what's the evidence I've got? And if there is some evidence, then I'm on a winner there, stick with it and, and go for it. But if I'm thinking, actually, there is either no evidence or there's evidence to the contrary, I need to just note that and moderate my optimism. Uh, and so that's what that's a little preview of the next article, if it's accepted for publication.
0: <laughs> I cannot wait to read it. um I think that that realistic optimism is so powerful, especially in this time, and being able to meet your coachy where they are and be able to elevate from there is is huge and along that same vein, Christian, we want to ask you and you've you've touched on this slightly, but during this pandemic, how do you envision coaches being leveraged in order to help spread hope and and make sure that we're using our realistic optimism, but how do you see us best leveraged or how would you like to see us leveraged in this time?
2: Yeah. um, That's an interesting question. And I don't feel really well placed to um, give an opinion uh, on that. Um, uh, But uh, there are some things that I do think uh, and uh, and some good practices that I, I have seen. So, I think um designating or uh organizations or districts um saying that um coaches are available to talk about well-being I've seen that being really effective right now and and I think that's um that is what's needed at the moment and it's a kind of a preventative thing I'm thinking Violet um that um, we don't want to leave it till the teacher's saying, look, I can't deal with this anymore, or I don't want to go to school anymore, or I'm not enjoying this anymore. Uh, I think we, we're we living at a time now when it's appropriate. And I'm saying this as a very optimistic person and uh, uh, somebody who teaches positive psychology. Uh, I am saying that it is appropriate for us now to have concerns, to to have legitimate concerns because of what we're reading and what we're seeing around us. And and the healthy way of addressing concerns, I think, is to have someone that you can talk to about those concerns. And I think for these, coaches are an excellent resource because coaches are expert in, you know, listening, appreciating, valuing. And particularly for teachers Maybe, you know, there's things they want to just, concerns they want to discuss in confidence that maybe they don't want to talk to about with their, you know, close family or, or even with their colleagues at school. Um, so I think these conversations can be really valuable at the moment. And, and, and the purpose of that would be to normalize because i i guess it's normal that when we're feeling a little bit uh concerned or anxious we might think is might just be me so i think the role of the coach would be to normalize this to say well you know we all have these concerns at the moment and then bring that hope idea into it of asking questions about you know what are you seeing in the future that you know is kind of better than now what do you think we'd like it to be like and um what what ways are there moving closer to that? What can you do at the moment? And it's kind of that kind of um, yeah support around well-being, I think, is what's needed most at the moment. And um, I, I think that's one way of, of doing it. I guess the question that arises is where do coaches get that support as well? Um, because we probably all need that kind of support at the moment. So I don't know if that's answered your question, but that's that's what I've seen some really good practice of this being offered. And the interesting thing is, um, anecdotally, people have been telling me, simply knowing that that's available has been good for people's well-being, even if they don't access it, to think, you know, if it ever gets a little bit too much, or I'm just kind of having a day where it all seems a little bit, too much there's somebody I can talk to even if they don't access it I think it could be a value
0: I love that I was working with some teams yesterday even and we kept talking about how you may not need the support but knowing that the support is there was powerful in itself knowing they yeah. have that line of communication right
2: absolutely absolutely and and uh, I think that's something that that coaching can provide and um uh and and i think coaches are best placed for it because of the skills that they've developed of having positive conversations so so for me coaches are a resource that can be used I mean, this is why i was a little uncovered i don't mean used um uh that is available to tap into um during these times um, because, you know, what teachers are doing now is I've always thought a teacher's job is very challenging and it requires, you know, a lot from, uh, individuals, but right now, you know, I can't even imagine how much more challenging and complex it's become. So as we've all been saying on this call, that probably becomes now one of the top priorities is how do we ensure, uh, their well-being because we're looking for sustainability you know we're in challenging times now and even when the pandemic somehow has been managed or whatever is going to happen you know the return to normal as it were is is also going to be challenging you know so there are challenging times ahead we do need to build systems where we can uh support uh systems where there is support in place so i think that idea of how do we build resilient uh organizations where there is ongoing support for people um you know now is a good time to be setting those up i think and uh, and for me coaching is integral to that support system that we're talking about
1: yeah, we all have this shared trauma um, and it may be, you know, a different experience or the level of trauma, but looking forward to what systems can we put in place to help everyone come out on the other side of this, I think is a really important question that we need to start asking.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And another part of the field of positive psychology has been looking into post-traumatic growth. Uh, and, and um, you know, uh, it's difficult to talk about, you know, what's positive about COVID now, et cetera, given everything that's happening. But one thing that we might be able to leverage out of this is remembering that we got through this. So when we get through this, that idea, there's a concept of collective efficacy, um, which is that we believe that whatever challenges come our way, we're going to be able to get through it. So If we do create those systems now and we do support one another through this very difficult time, you know, a a potential positive thing that might happen in the future is when other difficult times come along, we're going to say, you know what, we got through COVID and we supported one another, we're going to be able to get through this thing or whatever else. So... Uh, But in order to leverage that, we have to set up systems now so that when we look back, we say, you know, despite all of that, we and, you know, the very fact you're doing this now, you're having these uh, uh, podcasts. Uh, A couple of days ago, I was speaking at TLC, Teaching Learning Coaching Conference, hosted by Jim Knight. There were a thousand educators there. This is what we're going to remember saying, you know, even though. Things were incredibly different. We continued learning, you know, we continued supporting educators. We continued to set up ways of, you know, continuing to provide education. So it is really important that we're doing this now. So again, I'm really grateful to both of you and to every coach out there and every teacher. I think um, we are doing things that later we're going to be able to look back on and say, you know what, somehow we we did pull together.
1: Well, in that sentiment, where can we learn more from you? Um, And do you have any new projects coming down the pipe?
2: Thank you. Learn more from me. Um, That's interesting. Well, I'm definitely learning all the time. (laughs) So um, there's a a book that's just come out, the third edition of Introduction to Coaching Skills has just come out. um, it's called Introduction to Coaching Skills, A Practical Guide, and uh, it's in its third edition. And as evidence of what I said, you know, every edition has been different. And this third edition, you know, every time a book is published and when I get my hands on the third edition, I don't have it yet, but when I get my hands on it, I'm already going to start writing on it because I'm always learning and I'm starting editing it, et cetera. So in, in this third edition, there's a chapter on noticing. So, um, and I'm I've realised through my own practice and writing and teaching about coaching that that's probably the I'm now believing that that's one of the most important skills of coaches. So, an introduction to coaching skills might be something. Um, I uh, I'm on Twitter, so at Christian I sometimes share things that are coming up on Twitter. Um, Hopefully I'll I'll put out something about optimism in the next two or three weeks, um, which I will tweet about once it's out. Um I do work at the University of East London, where we have a master's program. And you could find that if you go to uel.ac.uk, London.ac.uk. It's a distance learning program, some people can do that from anywhere. And um I'm the um executive director of growth coaching international which i mentioned so that's growthcoaching.com.au uh for, au is for australia and we have lots of programs there and i've been involved in the design of many of those programs there's an introduction to leadership coaching there's a coaching accreditation program etc um uh, and and it's nice of you to ask that question uh, but if i'm honest I think uh, a lot of the best learning will come from best practice by coaches. And and that's, again, a reason I'm really appreciating what you're doing and others. And I do think maybe that's something that coaches can do more of, not only in the United States, but globally, is just to um, shout out about what they are doing, just to kind of share what's actually working and, and you know... That's where it matters the most, is if it's working in a classroom and in a district and in a building. Um, We're not saying it's going to work in every classroom, district or building, but there will be things that other people can learn from that. So for me, uh, coaches talking together, sharing ideas, supporting one another, because that's what they do. You know, coaches, this is what we're, we're good at doing. So I think there are possibilities of harnessing that even more to kind of say, how can we be even better at sharing, you know, and and there's a tension here, of course, because one of the things I say about a coaching way of being is is humility, right? So I think coaches do need to be humble. um, But I think in this case, we need to put our humility to one side just to say, I'm not saying what I'm doing is perfect but this is what I'm doing in my school it seems to work here's and what are you guys doing so I think that kind of that's probably a good place to go for um further learning and provide the kind of mutual support that we've been talking about as well
0: Absolutely I think coaches getting coaching practice and being able to lean into one another is such a powerful thing it's it's something we're working on in our district as well to try to get some some coaches working with more coaches and sharing those good works. Cause that's, that's where the best ideas come from is hearing from your peers and your colleagues. Like how much we learned from you today is unbelievable.
2: Thank you so much. Uh, I, I really appreciate this opportunity and uh, you know, I'm really passionate about coaching and education. I'm really passionate about the end result, as I mentioned right at the beginning. And so what you've done is you've given me a, an opportunity to kind of, share my passion. So it's, it's, I've really appreciated it. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. It's very tangible. It's palpable. I love listening to you speak. I, I would love to sit here for another hour or two, but we don't want to (laughs) usurp all of your time today and this evening in the, um, in Beirut. So we want to move on to that rapid fire questions. One of our favorite portions Um, in 30 seconds or less, if you will tell us um, what is your tagline or bumper sticker for coaching?
2: I'm not good at this. <laughs> I'm a slow <laughs> thinker. Um, Take your time. For, for, for coaching, um, probably listen first.
0: I love that. I love that. We've had a similar one before, and I think that always goes back to the core of coaching, of listening first. All right. Second one for you, um, put you on the spot in the fast question zone, is what is your secret coaching superpower or your go-to move?
2: Silence. Um, uh, I, I like to call it the power of the pause. I think that is, uh, my superpower uh, and I use it a lot. And it's because of what I was saying about agency, I think by just going quiet. So this is supposed to be a quick fire, isn't it? Sorry. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I think just by going quiet, um, uh, I think, first of all, what I haven't said throughout this whole thing is what for really underpins coaching for me is I think it's a respectful conversation, right? It's all about being respectful. And I think if we've said to somebody, this is your time to think, we want you, you know, we're trying to create the ideal environment, giving them time to think I think is is really integral. So, um, and it's doing that other thing of, the. remember, I said that for me, coaching is about two people. So if one person is quiet, and there's only one other person left to do something, and I think the power of silence is a great way of making people realize, actually, I, I'm going to have to do something about this. At, at the end of the day, I'm going to have to do something. So, so silence.
0: That's so huge. It's, it's a power tool I'm always trying to get better and elevate in my practice. So thank you for sharing that with us. And we were just so excited to have you here today, Christian. I know our listeners have pulled volumes from your insights today, and we are just so excited to continue to connect with you and be able to um, share with our listeners. And we hope to be able to collaborate with you in the future in some sort.
2: Yeah, I'd love that. Please get in touch whenever you think it's helpful.
0: More friends in our PLN
1: is always great, right?
2: (laughs) You're right. Yes, absolutely.
1: Thank you so much for your time. Christian has left us with so many things to think about. Coaching is about creating the perfect environment for learning to take place. This is something we are aware of for our students, but teachers deserve this space as well. Coaches, how can you create the ideal environment for coaching to take place? Thanks for listening, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at C3Coaches.